This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Good morning, everybody. I'm uh, Jill Jarris, and uh, this is Allison Brown. We are from Keep the Flame Alive. We are going to talk about podcasting major events, how we covered the Olympics from Beijing this year. And Keep the Flame Alive podcast has been covering the Olympics and Paralympics since September 2017. We're coming up on our fifth anniversary. We have published over 250 weekly episodes, and we did daily shows for Pyeongchang 2018, Tokyo 2020, and Beijing 2022. So what we're going to talk about today is what non-journalists need to know to cover a major in-person event. We are not journalists. We weren't trained that way. And, but we ended up being a, me, uh, a media group. So uh, we kind of fumbled our way through a lot of stuff, and we want you to know how to do it a little bit better. Uh, what we're going to talk about is going to be applicable beyond sports. It's going to be for more major events, not really specific to Beijing 2022. Um, We'll talk about some of the interesting things there, but there were so many COVID protocols that you will never see at any other event unless maybe you're in China. So we're not going to do a lot of what the COVID things were. Okay, so why do you need to go in person? It's expensive, it's time consuming, it is very difficult, it is a lot of flights, it is a lot of living out of uh, suitcases. However, it brings a whole different aspect to your show. Uh, we learn things in Beijing, we learn things by being there that we would never have seen or known about covering it from home. We covered Pyeongchang and Tokyo from home, Tokyo because we weren't allowed to go. And when we went there, we discovered so many things that brought a whole new element to the show. So before you, oh, sorry. That's you. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Excuse me. So when do you start planning? There's lots of things to know before you go. And obviously the planning is the most important thing. Um, excuse me. Every event is different. You know, the Olympics, we're planning about two years in advance. We've already started working on Paris. Uh, we had considered going to the World Games, which occurred in July, and their accreditation closed in May. So sometimes it's a couple months of planning, sometimes it's a couple years. Best thing to do is whenever the previous event ends, that's when you start thinking about the next one. So when Beijing ended, we started working on Paris 2024. If you're covering a political convention or a fashion show, when 2022 ends, start working on 2023. There's a whole bunch of things that you need to think about when you are doing the planning. There's accreditation, budget, travel, gear, and your game plan. And we're gonna go each, uh, we're gonna go into each of these in detail. So accreditation is um, being officially recognized by the event organizers. So when you have a big event, it's really popular. A lot of media, maybe all over the world, wants to cover it, and there's only so much space. So what the event organizers do is um, they limit the number of media who can come in, they give them passes, and if you get accredited, you get uh, access and support. You don't have to be accredited to go to an event, 
uh, when we were going to go to Tokyo, I was going to go as a fan and I bought tickets. That I wouldn't have gotten to go into uh, interviewing athletes unless I ran into them on the street or um, I wouldn't have had any uh, like press room support, but I still would have been there. But being accredited, you get uh, the more access and the more support and that's really, really helpful. So what you need to do is figure out who accredits you. And a lot of times it's the event organizers for uh, the Olympics are kind of complicated because it's the biggest sporting event in the world. The um, International Olympic Committee does not accredit us. We are considered journalists because podcasts fall in a weird space. We aren't radio because we don't use a frequency where we don't think of ourselves as a web necessarily, but we have a website and that's what organizers understand. So uh, we get a, a journalist accreditation that comes through the, for us it comes through Team USA. So the IOC says every country can get uh, a certain number of accreditations and then it's up to that country to meet them out. So, how did we pay? Budget. So we budgeted about $15,000 for this trip. Uh, we got most of it through a Kickstarter that we had during the Tokyo 2020 Olympic coverage that we did. We have Patreon. We are very fortunate that we have a healthy percentage of our listeners, our patrons as well. Um, during Beijing, it was um, the Lunar New Year in China, so we piggybacked off of that and had a red envelope campaign that was donations. We write ebooks to help pay for this. We got a podcast grant. I do freelance writing, so a lot of that income went towards this trip. Um, I had a lot of gift cards that I used to buy gear that I needed. And uh, we have a very supportive family that also helped. So, uh, big elephant of the room, how much did it cost? We budgeted 15000 It cost almost $24,000. And that was mostly because of the COVID protocols. Um, China implemented something called the closed loop and we could not leave once we got there. So we had extra hotel in between the Olympics and Paralympics that we didn't expect. That was about 10 days or so of hotel. Yeah. Airlines, we had, to, uh, we had to take certain flights. It was very, very complicated process and uh, very prescribed what you had to do. Uh, we had budgeted $1,500 each for a flight to China, which seemed pretty reasonable but our flights ended up costing $4,700 each. And that's really where our budget was blown. So um, that, that has not been fun to reconcile with afterwards, I'll tell you that, so we're working on it. Travel planning is how are you going to get there? Do you, can, do you have to fly? Can you drive? Can you take a train? Where are you going to stay? A lot of big events have hotel blocks, so do you stay in the hotel block uh, at a set rate? Do you get your own Airbnb? Can you crash with people? We ended up, uh, we decided initially to stay in the hotel block. That planning took a year because what we did, we got a catalog from Beijing that said, here are the hotels. And we had to start making payments in about May of 2021 and do all that. If you stay in a hotel block, how, um, oops, how are you going to, uh, how do they want you to pay for it? Uh, this was also interesting for us because China required us to have a, a business entity and we had to wire transfer all the money. So anytime I, I needed to make like five payments, that was an hour at the bank every time. 
and it was wire transfer fees on that I paid for. Um, so that was not fun. We know somebody who had been to several Olympics just as his own website, uh, renowned in the industry, had to scramble to become an LLC in order to get into the hotel block in time to go. So we, we were lucky that we're already an LLC. Um, how are you getting around? Uh, a lot of times they provide transportation. Uh, the, there will be buses. We had access to buses and a bullet train. If there had been no COVID, our accreditation would have gotten us onto the subways as well, um, but it, it didn't um, plan for that. And there's probably going to be some COVID-19 protocols if COVID keeps going up and down in terms of cases or, or if you're in a hotbed region at the time. Oh, that's you. Mm. Oh, and also, do you need a work permit or visa? If you're traveling internationally, that's something to look at. For us, our accreditation served as our visa, but there were a host of other requirements to get into the country that we had to really be on top of as well. Gear, what we brought, not necessarily what you need. This is really an illustration of the fact that we had to be really prepared. We were in something called the closed loop, which meant we, if something broke, we could not go shopping. We could not have anything ordered and sent to us. So we had to bring extra. And we really, um, I mean, I didn't use the boom arm. I used the shotgun mic, but it was so cold that the shotgun mic was on a, a shock mount and the O-ring snapped because of the cold and then I couldn't really use it. Yeah, I could, it was, hey, you know what? We brought 30 to 48 AA batteries, went through a lot of them because the cold saps batteries, saps your phone battery. It was cold. Uh, so this is an idea of be prepared. We were overprepared, but if you're prepared and something breaks and you have it, you don't have to worry about taking the time out of covering the event to go source a new thing. So one of the big things that we talked about in our pre-planning is the game plan. What makes us different? Obviously, an event like the Olympics and the Paralympics, you've got worldwide press. Here in the US, uh, in the US NBC has massive broadcast presence. But what makes you different? What can you bring? We're two people. We do not have 40 reporters like the New York Times does. So what angle are you going to bring? And especially for Beijing, none of our listeners could go. So we really became the eyes and ears for them. So when you are planning out, how are you gonna be, especially as a small podcast, different? Who's already covering the event and what can you do differently? One of the things that we did was we asked our listeners what they wanted to know. What weren't they getting the answers to? And it took us down some fantastic rabbit holes. We did an entire segment about curling ice and how it stayed uh, the right temperature and the humidity. And we were taking pictures of humidifiers and talking to everybody about curling ice. Uh, we got questions about sled hockey, which is the Paralympics version of hockey and what the sleds are like. And it involved crawling up into stands and hanging over to see what happens behind the, the video. You're never gonna see that on TV, but we were able to see that and bring that to our listeners. And that's gonna be true of any kind of convention, any kind of event. When you're there, you can do some pretty fun and weird things that your listeners are gonna love that they're not getting from somebody else.
I will say they also wanted to know about snow. So when there's areas you can go in to talk to athletes, and we'd go in and, and the handlers would come down and be like, do you want to talk to them? They like finished next to last. They're not in a great mood. Like, uh, we don't want to talk about the competition. We know they did bad. They don't want to talk about it. We don't have to do that. That's, that's NBC. They have to say, how did it go today? What's inspirational that you will do next time? We can go, you know, what's the snow like? And, you know, we heard it's sandy because the snow, the, the snowy, one of the snow areas was by the desert. So the sand would blow in the desert on the snow and it'd get really gritty and it was hard to ski on. And that was fascinating. And the athletes really liked talking about that versus having to focus again and again with every reporter on their disappointments. So while you're there, what's available to you? We had a main press center, which was a giant convention hall, probably 10 times the size of this, this expo hall. It was enormous. Um, every venue had its own workroom. Uh, there are, were storage lockers that we could borrow to store gear in and not have to haul it around all the time. They had a lot of guidebooks and handouts. Um, volunteers are fantastic. Uh, sometimes you'll have an intranet with news and a calendar and special events that you can go to or press conferences, schedules. Um, we also had access to photo libraries. There were apps that we had to have on our, on our thing, like the Podcast Movement app, that helps, but we had to have some apps. Um, one of the things uh, we found, or I found, when I was there for the Olympics, because we had, uh, the Olympics was, uh, we got one accreditation for that, so I went to the Olympics. We got two accreditations for the Paralympics, so Allison came over. Uh, when I first got there, and I'm wandering around trying to figure out what is this enormous workroom and how do I fit in here, um, I see all these people with these with these backpacks. I'm like, where do they get those backpacks, man? That's kind of cool. And I turned a corner and there was a media check-in that I had no idea I was supposed to go to. Got a nice swag bag, got a fabulous um, uh, diary. Well, we got a notebook that was kind of a diary, but we got a media guide that was essential. It had the schedules, it had maps of every venue. It, it was something that I carried around every day. All right, so you got to get a feel for the environment. You're going to be working next to broadcasters, photographers, journalists who are all jockeying for space and stories. But even though you're just one person or two people, you really do deserve to be there. So every event has its own personality and its etiquette. So you may have an idea of what it could be like when, before you go. But you do need to keep your eyes and ears open and maybe talk to people and ask questions when you get there to really understand the etiquette that goes on. Um, there's likely going to be rules for the press of where you can go and where you can't go, what you can do, what you can't do. Uh, but we wanted to share some lingo that we had a lot of that you may not be familiar with. So we had press and media center. The venue was where the competition took place. In the venue, there was a press tribune. And that is where you could go and watch the competition. If it was tabled, it's like if you watch a, a big basketball game or a big track event, and you have that wall that's people sitting at desks, that's tabled press. There's also non-tabled where they would say, well, if you're in the press, uh, we'll give you a, a seating area, but there's no tables to work at. Or it would be uh, like overflow for us. Um, 
Press Tribune also has some rules. Some people pay for seats, so you had to be careful. Tables would be labeled with different um, media outlets. They had paid for the right to sit there because they wanted good spots. So then you just got whatever was left. You learned to be early for some events because if you weren't early, you wouldn't get a place in the workroom. You wouldn't get a place at the Tribune. And then you were kind of stuck sitting in the corner in the media lounge having a snack and hoping that you remembered what was going on. Mix zone is where all the athletes came through. So once the competition was done, they had to walk through this maze of reporters or maze of some reporters. And uh, we could ask to talk to them, but they did not have to talk to us. The fun thing about a mix zone is that there's one of my mix zone passes. I did not know that you needed a pass to go into the mix zone for about two or three days. And I would just kind of wander in, see, think, oh, this looks like a good spot for me to stand. I'm kind of far away from everybody else. I'm not by all the TV people up front. This is great. Then some volunteers stopped me when I wanted to go into a biathlon one. And they're like, where's your pass? And I'm like, oh, we need a pass to get in here. And then there was a whole process about getting a pass where you had to sign up for one. And they chose people. And sometimes you got in and sometimes you didn't. And you had specific places where to stand. And that's how I learned about that. <laughs> um, Usually venues have a press conference room or area. Sometimes it would be part of your media workroom. Sometimes it would be a different room in the facility. But they're usually, especially for, for big events, there would be a press conference afterwards. And then a uh, very important media lounge. Uh, they had snacks, which was great. Uh, we had our fill of very soft bread and uh, brined eggs um, and, some, and some fruit and some other crackers. But, uh, so they had free snacks. Um, they also would have kiosks where you could buy things. But there was always something there because you needed to be able to eat. And just one quick thing on that is the volunteers of any event are your friends. And you never have to be embarrassed to ask a volunteer because it's not like going to the other place people who can be very intimidating. The volunteers, especially in something like the Olympics, want to help you and they know everything. And sometimes they know things that you don't even know that they know. So never be afraid to ask a ton of questions. Getting around is a challenge in any big event, even just being here, trying to get from one room to the other. At something like the Olympics and the Paralympics, we're talking about massive distances, different venues. Sometimes transportation is provided, sometimes it isn't. So that's something you really need to know ahead of time. And sometimes they give you a map and a schedule, sometimes they don't. So those are all questions to ask and find out about ahead of time. And how crowded is it going to be? Do you need to get there way ahead of time? And how much time do you need to plan? Oh, there's one. The one thing to keep in mind is it always takes longer than you think it's going to to get anywhere. OK, so this is a little video that we have of what we went through we trying to get around. To go from here, maybe 100 meters. So there, I have to take this bus. We'll be for another 10 minutes. Yeah.
Like way down there is a gate. They won't let us walk through that gate. It takes a bus. It would take us 10 minutes to walk. It would take us about five. Oh. We gotta wait 10 minutes for the bus. It's gonna take two minutes to bring us there. And really, like, a minute of that is opening and getting through the gates. It's gonna be worse when we gotta go in the reverse direction. Yeah. Then we gotta do the whole loop. Yeah. So we're here. We wanna go there. But we'll wait in the warm embrace of the closed loop. It was one block. And we had to wait for the bus, get on the bus. <clears throat> the bus had to go through two gates and then they would let us off the bus and we could get to the venue. To go the other way, the bus only went in one direction. So if you wanted to go from curling back behind you one block, you had to go all the way around, switch buses, and go all the way around again. If you are at an event that has a looped bus, that can happen to you. you wanna, you're here, you wanna go here, you gotta go all the way around. So whatever transportation they're providing, double or triple the time you're planning. This is one map of one venue. To get to where this map was, we had taken two buses, a train and another bus. And then we switched to the bus that would get us to the venue. If you are talking about a big, expansive event, be prepared. And this is their provided transportation that is not trying to manage a city's subway system or bus system or working in a foreign language. This was all provided in English and the volunteers spoke English. Sometimes they could point you to the right place. Sometimes they couldn't. We got lost a lot. We got trapped on mountains. It took five hours to get to the mountain venue. And the only reason I got home was because some very nice French people shared their cab with me. So that probably will not happen in an event in the United States, but cars break down, subways break down, so always plan more time and backup plans for transportation. Okay, work setup. We did a few different things because the Olympics and the Paralympics were different. So I was in the United States uh, at my house working uh, the US. So I had the uh, Roadcaster Pro board and we were recording over Squadcast. Then I was in the main media center, which again was another enormous room. Uh, come, come first, first come first serve seating. So I would get a table. They'd have uh, dividers between the tables for COVID reasons. So I would just put a scarf over that and kind of duck down in and record from there. For the Paralympics, uh, Allison was there happily, and we recorded through the plexiglass. So she was on one side, I was in the other, so we could see. We had a, pod, a Zoom PodTrack P4 that we recorded with and then transferred it over to computer. <clears throat> so workflow. So you got a lot of things to think about besides just getting your content done. You've got to edit and post. You have to manage your social media. You have to work on fan uh, interactions. How are you relating to your listeners? So we had a daily e-newsletter. We took phone messages and texts. And we also uh, have a Facebook page and group board so that people were giving us messages. That all takes time. And you need to factor that into your workday. 
uh, things will go wrong. Uh, one of the things that went wrong is the first night I walked into the hotel, well, the, the initial plan A was I would record from the Olympics from my hotel room because it was quiet. I could not get on the hotel Wi-Fi because of China. And then I found out I should not get on the hotel Wi-Fi because of China. And the, the lobby was supposed to have unrestricted internet uh, that I could not get on that either. And then was talking to people like, yeah, don't do anything in the hotel on a computer. So I said, okay, well, we're going to go to do it in the workroom. And it's like 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I walk in, and these two lovely ladies are vacuuming because it's time for them to clean. We have to record the show because I have a, it, my choices at the early set were a 12 o'clock bus, a 2 a.m. bus, or a 4 a.m. bus to get back to my hotel. And it took me about a week to figure out how to use the taxi app and I didn't have a budget to pay for a lot of taxis. So uh, I was just like, well, we got to record. This is going to be in here. I'll work on getting it out. And I just said, well, it, it's a magical hour of vacuuming. These ladies are here. They went up and down all of these rows just vacuuming all night long. So that's what it looked like when we would get the recording back. The top one is me and the vacuumers, and the bottom line track is Allison. And it so hopefully you can hear this, but it sounded like this. I'm going to throw around. It's we are both equal partners on the ice. Look at us both equally. And they both, they did, I guess it was a tango. I'm not quite sure if that's the right rhythm, but it was. So imagine, I was just like. I don't know what I'm going to do. You're on the point of tears at this point. You're tired. You're so discombobulated. And I spent hours just trying to get that out, even though I said it's the magical hour of vacuuming. My husband finally goes, Jill, you talk about the vacuumers every day, and you can't hear them, because I was really good at getting the vacuum out. Uh, so I finally left it in, saved me a ton of time. And instantly that day when people uh, got on Facebook and heard, they're like, we heard the vacuumers! We heard the vacuumers! Um, the, the great thing was, besides the fact that the audience loved it, we had one of our listeners made cookies for the vacuumers and sent them to Allison to bring them up with her when she came. We became friends with them. And sadly, during the Paralympics, we did not have much vacuuming because they would vacuum. The, the hours were just different for the vacuuming and for the recording until the last day when we walked in after the closing ceremony and they are vacuuming and we are so excited we could not get set up fast enough. So we heard this. I see my lovely co-host Allison Brown. Allison, me how it is the magical hour of vacuuming. Honey, yeah! how? And it was nice, and it was a fun element of the show. And, and really, like, we, it, two people, we can't emphasize that enough. If you're a single person or two people, there's not a lot of resources that you have that you can bring to the table to get stuff out, and you just got to roll with it sometimes. So rolling with the magical hour vacuuming turned out to be a really good and fun thing for us and for our listeners. Okay, so what did we learn from all of this besides that brined eggs are pretty awful? Um, 
you want to do as much as you can ahead of time. We planned out show sheets. We had the e-newsletter templates all going. As much as you can do before you step on that airplane will save you a lot of headaches later. Um, you got to have a plan, but you also have to be flexible. We didn't know that vacuuming was going to become a hit with listeners. We didn't know that we were going to get stories from getting lost on the mountain. We did not know that was going to happen. And we went with it, and it became part of the show, which is what you bring to the table that's different. You will need to sleep, and you will sometimes need to remind yourself to sleep. We would go back to the hotel and still have lots of things to work out, and finally I would just say, Jill, we all have to sleep. So it is sometimes you have to schedule that. The one thing that we are really considering for Paris is hiring some more technical help. The editing and the posting take a lot of time, and it's hard to do in a venue and concentrating on other things. So if you can get some technical help and take that off your plate, probably a good move. Everything's going to be more expensive. It's kind of like a house improvement project. Everything's going to take longer. Everything's going to uh, be more expensive. Do not plan down to the last penny. Have a cushion. And don't forget to eat and carry your water around because there were days where we forgot to eat because we would just be going to venue to venue. And you can't live on brined eggs and soft bread for that many days. I was thrilled when I found Snickers at hockey because I did live on those for a few days. But make sure you bring some food in your suitcase that you can just go back to the room and have and find the water cooler. It will save you. And the, the last reason to eat is because the dining room in the main media center was pretty sweet because they had all these robot cookers and you could get your food delivered to you like this. So I'm looking up at the ceiling and the food had come, uh, the food would get cooked on that wall. It would go up to the ceiling, be put on like a little Roomba thing and then get come down and deliver to you. And you would say, thank you, robot cooker. And you'd have a delicious meal. So thank you so much. Uh, time for questions. Who's got questions? So I'll come around with the microphone. I'm Isabel. If you have a question, I will come to you and just speak into the mic. Thank you. Hi. Um, how often is it that your accreditation would be rejected since you're not a big news agency? And how far ahead would you get notified of that? Oh, OK. So it's going to vary for you. Uh, um, it's going to depend on how crowded the uh, or how popular the event is. Uh, the Olympics are super popular. But we, uh, we did not know how to credit before Pyeongchang, so we weren't there. So we were able to establish a base of what we could do. Tokyo, uh, personal stuff made us miss the accreditation window. But we, we again, established a base of, or no, they, we got accredited for Beijing way before. Um, I lost what I was going to say. When we applied for the accreditation for Beijing, we applied for two for the Olympics. We only got one, but we got two for para. So it's really going to vary event by event. But the bigger your event, the more likely you are to be rejected, unfortunately. I will say if you're, no, that's all. No. If you're niche, that's not a big deal, because there were, a lot of, like, there were a lot of people who were just there for one sport. 
and that was their niche. So, and they were the big voice in it, even though they're a one-person outfit. So they got uh, accreditation. So it, it just is going to vary. We had we hadn't expected to. Uh, well, honestly, I applied for the Olympics, or we, we had talked and said we were not going to apply for Beijing, it was going to be a lot, a lot of trouble, and then I was drinking with my husband one night, and he said, oh, you should apply, because I said, oh, the deadline's coming. So we applied, and I forgot that I applied, and I forgot to tell her that I applied, until we got the accreditation, because uh, we didn't expect to get it. We just thought, we'll put our name in the hat, and then they'll know if maybe for, for Paris or Milan. Paris is going to be really, really tough for us, we think. We're not sure about the Olympics at all. Paralympics is a different story because people, it, it's just not covered as much. So there we feel like we have a better chance. Winter Olympics for us is probably more likely, but it's going to depend. And if you, I don't, I don't know if making friends in whatever media organization, but if you work with them a fair amount, they get to know you. So we had done a lot of Team USA media days and, you know, we behaved well and asked interesting questions. And, and just work with them nicely and be professional. And I think that helps. I don't know, but I think it helps. Additional questions? Hi, great presentation. Um, really impressive what you guys were able to do out there. Um, how did your numbers do? How did your audience re react? Uh, and was it worth the investment? Oh my gosh, it was worth the investment. Uh, uh, so our numbers are always cyclical, like really cyclical. Um, and so much so that we won't know for a few years how, how things will, will pan out. But they always spike up. I think our engagement is really good. With Our Facebook group is hopping. And it's hopping even now because people were into world games. And all of a sudden they came back and like, anybody watching Commonwealth games? And we're like, okay, if you want to talk about that, this is your place. And we're all, we're all buds now. We get, you know, it's always a great day when we get donations from people we don't know and don't even know through the Facebook group. So there's a lot of people that just come out of the woodwork for this. And with that red envelope campaign during the, the run, we saw a lot of names we had never seen before. So it definitely uh, made a big difference. Hello, I'm Seth, I'm from NBC. Uh, we saw you on our list. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, this is, I see that you guys have so many challenges that you know, we probably don't have as NBC, but what opportunities do you have kind of being independent that, that we might not have? Oh, you want to go first? Yeah. I wasn't the one that was assigned to cover long track speed skating only. You know, that's, I got to talk to some guys from the New York Times on the bus. Well, A, that's when I found out they had 40 people here. And, but, but the one guy was like, yeah, I'm at the speed skating venue the whole time. We could go... We got every venue access, so we could go wherever. And once we figured out, like, uh, I, well, A, the COVID protocols were really stressful. Once you figured out you were going to be safe, that stress went away. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, I get to do kind of whatever I want within reason. And it was so freeing. And you're just like, well, what am I going to do? We have a, a segment on the, the daily shows, which is what officiating or volunteer job would you want to do? And the first thing I went to was on day minus two was the opening of curling. I sat down and I found something for her to do, which was vacuuming the carpet that's in between the ice sheets because we never saw that on TV. And it was just awesome to be able to do that and see that. And anytime any of our fans said anything that was like, oh, I see this in the background, we were like, what are you looking at? We'll look at that too. 
and that's we just kept our eyes open. I got to hold one of the the little uh, uh, Bing Duen Duen, was it a Bing Duen? Shui. Shui, I got to hold the little Shui Ron Ron that they gave to the medalists. That was really fun because I was in the back when they were taking pictures with him, like, oh, can I hold it? It was really cool. I think the biggest opportunity that we have is being able to tell the stories that we're interested in. And a lot of ridiculous things that happened. You know, we, we talked a lot about bathrooms and getting lost in venues and all those weird things that happen when you're in a foreign country. If we had a boss, there is no way they would have allowed us to tell some of the stories that our listeners really enjoyed. And, you know, getting lost and meeting people and we could share all of that and it wasn't packaged and it wasn't edited. It was just, this is what happened. And, and also we got lucky because um, the, the really cool thing about being at this Olympics and Paralympics was that you really felt like you were part of history. So during the Olympics, we had the whole scandal with Kamilia Valieva, the figure skater from Russia who had been caught for doping and was allowed to compete. And um, so I was able to go and watch her compete and, all, and just see the meltdown on ice and be able to tell that to listeners in a way, because it doesn't translate as well on TV. And you could really tell how just crushed she was. You could also really tell in the press conferences that the IOC had that the IOC president, Tomas Bach, was so shaken and so angry in a way that I had never seen him talk about that situation and how upset he was over her being allowed to compete. Um, the other thing that was really fascinating during the Paralympics was the whole situation with Russia and Belarus. Because Russia was already in the doghouse because they were not allowed to compete under Russia. They had to compete as the Russian Olympic Committee or Russian Paralympic Committee because of doping. Then um, we heard that, that Putin was not was thinking about invading Ukraine and there may have been some talk like, hey, wait until after the Olympics. But there's a thing called the Olympic truce and it lasts all the way through the end of the Paralympics that there will be no war. And right after the Olympics ended, that's when Russia invaded Ukraine. And we got to watch it all unfold live in real time of the International Paralympics Committee's initial decision to allow Russia and Belarus to compete, but under the Paralympic flag. And then less than 24 hours later, they were sent home. And getting that news, we got it in, in weird, interesting ways. I had been allowed to go watch the torch relay, and I found out there that it was going down. And I could tell her, get in the conference room, something's going down. And we could just, it, it, seeing it and seeing the, the tiredness on these leaders' faces and the, the hard decisions that they had to make and the decisions that they had to make because this is what's in the organization's constitution. They didn't necessarily personally agree with it, but they had to do it. And that was really fascinating to get to watch and explain to regular fans in real time. Okay, we're good. <laughs> we have time for one more oh, question. She's her. Yes. You're the lucky one. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so excited just to like to hear from you all because my my cousin uh, he actually works for NBC. He uh, he's a commentator and he's been there for like ten years. Um, but one of the things I was really interested in what you were just saying was this, the stories. So like when you went and when you were planning, did you specifically plan to 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 meet specific 
uh, athletes or was it more about like the context of like the, the Olympics in general? Like how did you choose the stories? And then what was your audience and who, who is your audience? Is it, um, is it, do you guys continually do like large events or I, I might have missed that at the, at the top of the. Well, the, to start with, we just do Olympics and Paralympics. That's the focus of the show. And in terms of who we plan to see, the, the first thing is what we call our Shukflistanis, which are people that have been on the show. So we made up a country because our acronym is weird and somehow it became an Eastern European, uh, former Soviet Republic called Shukflistan. That's, that's a whole episode into itself. But that was the first thing. We want to go see our people. Other than that, it was what do we find? What's here? What's it like being here? Because that closed loop was so bizarre and people wanted to know what that was. So most of the stories we told, really we stumbled upon. It wasn't a whole plan and the plan was find what's there. And we didn't have much ask, access to the athletes, so a lot of it was through Mixzone. Um, if, we, if they wanted to talk to us, we could talk to them. Uh, we had one interaction with one of our Shuklastanis who had a very bad race and let us know in no uncertain terms how upset she was with her experience so far. But a, a lot of it was, what is the atmosphere like? Would we do stuff differently for Paris and beyond? Yeah, probably, because we'll probably have different access and be more comfortable. Always the first time, especially for me, I'm, I happen to be a very shy person. It takes me a long time to get used to an environment. So jumping in and, and having to figure out a whole lot of stuff in a different language um, was tough. And it took me a long time to feel comfortable and be like, okay, this is where we go. This is who we're going to get. Can we try to talk to these people? Hey, oh, before, well, you're going to say one more thing, but if you asked a question, come on up because we have a pin for you. It, there's pin trading is big, so we had some pins made that became a hit apparently because nobody knew what Shutlistan was. Um, one other thing about the audience that I want to mention in our last minute is it is a cross section. It is several countries, mostly the United States, obviously because we're in English, but we have people in Japan, in Australia, in was it Niger England, some Nigeria, some Canada? I mean, all these very strange places and very very different people. And that's something that's really great. So thank you so much, everybody, for coming. We're going to stick around. I'm going to say one, one last thing. I've got to say that it's great that you have shown us how we can turn roadblocks into opportunity. So thank you for sharing all of your, your stories with us. Thank you.